I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe. But our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those together right here on Outside the Walls. In just a few weeks, we have cause to celebrate. Yeah, I mean, there's Thanksgiving. There's that, certainly. But, but more than that, uh, in just three weeks, we are celebrating four years of bringing you Outside the Walls every single week. Uh, and these are all um, brand new, fresh episodes. We've not repeated an episode. I've not taken a sick day, not taken a week off, because I love doing this, and I love these opportunities to sit down and have a conversation about our faith. You might have noticed the bumper music is the same, but the introduction is a little bit different. Uh, we're doing a couple of things as we are approaching this fourth year. We've got a new logo. If you've not seen it yet, I encourage you do one of uh, one of three or four things. You can find us on Twitter at Outside the Walls, twitter.com slash Outside the Walls. Uh, on Facebook, you can go to facebook.com slash Step Outside the Walls. You can go to OutsideTheWalls.com or... Or if you, um, if you subscribe to the podcast on whatever aggregator you use, then that, that new icon, that new logo will populate within whatever your podcast reader aggregator is. Uh, so we've got a new logo. I'm really excited about it uh, because uh, I am. You'll just have to go see it and, uh, and see what you think. We also have uh, a new stations coming online in the very near future. Of course, we started in Tulsa, Oklahoma area with St. Michael Catholic Radio. We're still there every week. Hello to all my Oklahoma peeps. Uh, we spread from there to the uh, the 12 stations of the Oklahoma Catholic Broadcasting Network and then added a few more out in beautiful Iowa, central Iowa, uh, on Iowa Catholic Radio. And here in the very near future, we're going to be opening up to, uh, to new horizons out in the Pacific Northwest. I always love... Um, when we're able to expand our audience because it, it increases our opportunity to have conversations about things that matter uh, and use social media to do that. So if you are in one of these locations and you've not yet followed me on Twitter or on Facebook and you want to have those conversations throughout the week, today is a perfect day to do that. So find us on social media. Easiest thing to do is go to OutsideTheWalls.com and then follow the links from there. Also on OutsideTheWalls.com, you will find all of the archives, all four years, right there, laid out. If you want to binge listen, this is the way you do it. You can listen on demand right there at OutsideTheWalls.com. We've got a fun show for you today as we're talking with James Breakwell. He's a professional comedy writer uh, and is a Twitter superstar. Uh, I've known about him for a long time. Didn't realize that he was Catholic until just very recently. And uh, he writes about his family. Uh, he shares with all of his followers these funny conversations that he has with his his young children. He reminds me a lot of, if you ever read the old comic strip Calvin and Hobbes, he reminds me of Calvin's dad. Uh, it's just that kind of humor, and it's a lot of fun. We had a, a great conversation. I can't wait to share it with you. Uh, but one of the things that he does in in his writing is he shows kind of the absurdity of being a father. Right. You, you, you feel kind of outnumbered in your house as you've got all of these children surrounding you. And sometimes it just feels like 
you're you're the losing end, right? You you get for Father's Day or for your birthday, you're going to get a tie. You know, there's just this uh, this picture that we have of fatherhood, and uh, and he plays into that really well and and uh, shares that in a very funny way. He's got a new book coming out called Bare Minimum Parenting, The Ultimate Guide to Not Quite Ruining Your Child. We're going to talk about that here in a bit. But I had the opportunity this last Sunday uh, to sit down with a whole bunch of men, a whole bunch of fathers who all had one thing in mind. They wanted their faith to rub off on their children. You know, there's a sense as a dad sometimes that you know you 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 set out the expectations and you are uh, preparing your children for a life of faith and you know you whether you're praying the rosary together or where you're whatever it is that you're doing there's this nagging question in the back of your mind um, are they catching the actual faith or are they just catching the the externals right are they going to catch the fact that this has to be a, a lived relationship or as Chesterton put it, let your religion be less of a theory and more of a love affair. And I'd go so far as to say I'm less worried about my children thinking it's a theory as thinking um, let your religion be less of pragmatics and practices and more of a love affair. Are they going to catch the fact that we love Christ and Christ has loved us and that's why we do these things? And so as I was sitting there with these dads having this conversation, we talked over a few things. Uh, We're going to get to some of that as we get into our reading from church history, because the reading that I pulled out for them there uh, just happens to be, unbeknownst to me at the time, the same reading that's coming up this next week in Mass. And so we're going to share that together and talk through it a little bit in this context of raising our children uh, in the best way we know how. Um, but then the other thing that I wanted to say, and I think that, that this is going to tie in with our, our guest today very well, is that you are not alone. Sometimes as a parent, it can feel like you're the only parent who's parenting the way that you're parenting in the faith. And we can't be isolated in islands just in the same way that we, we can't allow ourselves to be swayed too much by the mob or by popular opinion or what's uh, what what society says. Uh, At the same time, we don't have to do this alone. We are parenting in the faith along with everyone else who's there at Mass. We have other other fathers that are around us that I, I encourage them to get together with, but we also have God the Father through whom we know what fatherhood is. We'll talk about that in more depth in the last segment. Uh, When we come back, we're going to be talking with James Breakwell, author of the brand new book, Bare Minimum Parenting, The Ultimate Guide to Not Quite Ruining Your Child. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. We'll be right back with much more right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of our faith on daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam, and we have a little bit of a different show today. We are talking with Twitter aficionado James Breakwell, uh, well known on Twitter as at Exploding Unicorn. He's a professional comedy writer and amateur father of four girls ages eight and under. Uh, James, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So for those who don't know, you're, you've got a, a website, Exploding Unicorn, all spelled out. On Facebook, it's Exploding Unicorn, all spelled out. On Twitter, because uh, branding is hard, you have X without the E at the beginning, Exploding I, Unicorn. I really wanted the whole thing in there. They won't give me the extra uh, extra characters. So hard decisions were made. A decision yeah. that haunts me. <laughs> I had the same problem. You know, you, you just... It's just one character. Just give me one more. Yeah. Such is life. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit. Uh, first of all, most of us who have children realize how funny they are. Few of us commoditize that like you have done. You do it so well. It's like <laughs> shamelessly. <laughs> shamelessly. Your, your Twitter feed is a, like halfway to kids say the darndest thing. And I, I, it's just... I think Twitter was made for parents telling on their children. You do it so well. You've made this whole subgenre in Twitter. In fact, the reason we're having this discussion today is because a couple of weeks ago, I was talking with Tommy Ty, who's the Catholic hipster. And I told him, you, you remind me of the Catholic exploding unicorns. And he said, <laughs> he said, that's not possible because exploding unicorns is the Catholic exploding unicorns. And my mind was blown. <laughs> so, so first of all, tell it, how did you come up with the name? What, what's the story behind exploding unicorns? This, this is the point where I get booed off Catholic radio. So I was attending <laughs> my Catholic high school in a computer literacy class back when it wasn't just assumed that you knew how to use Microsoft Word. Even right. Though. That class should have been retired years before, but they were still teaching it. So we had a lot of downtime. So it was an easy class. And so at the end of it, we had we had access to email and I started doing what most kids in Catholic school do. And I started writing a fake book of the Bible that I could email to my friends. And uh, it had all sorts of crazy, it wasn't particularly sacrilegious or anything. It was just kind of crazy random stuff. And part of it in there was about unicorns filled with hydrogen that exploded. And it was one of the first things I ever wrote that was funny. And I emailed it to my friends and I, I watched them open it and I watched them laugh. And it kind of kind of got me hooked on comedy writing. And that image of the exploding unicorn always stuck with me all these years. So when I started a blog, I stuck with the name. And then eventually when I moved on to Twitter, I did. And so far, you know, God hasn't struck me down yet. So I think he's got a sense of humor too. Well, and you've got this, uh, I found out after the fact, you, you write for the Indianapolis Star, the Indy Star, uh, and your articles and your blogs and everything else kind of, it almost has like a half Dave Barry, half Irma Bombeck feel to these articles. Uh, that there's a point to them, but you're going to laugh on the way there. Yeah, that was my original goal was to be the next Dave Barry. And I actually, I started out as a newspaper reporter. Uh, turns out that's not how Dave Barry became Dave Barry at all, but I didn't do any research before I made a life plan. <laughs> and I, I was a reporter for a year and I flamed out on that. I hated it. I got a job in a cubicle and just wrote, wrote on the side and thought maybe I can build my way up through that. And in a really roundabout way, 10 years later, I had this, you know, Twitter empire. I had a book. And then the Indie Star offered me a column, which is where I was trying to end up originally. So it was a it was a very roundabout way of getting to where I'd want to be in the first place. Speaking of not doing any research before you <laughs> before you write, you have a new book that's coming out uh, on November sixth called Bare Minimum Parenting, uh, which I've I've had, got my hands on 
and have made my way part of the way through. I haven't gotten all the way through yet, but uh, you you bring up several times in this that uh, you haven't really done any research about this, but you're sure that this is the way that that the world runs. Isn't it? It, it all just strikes so true. I mean, it's the same logic I use with all my jokes. I think I think comedy writers and comedians in general kind of have a pretty good insight in, into the human condition. I mean, I, I set out with, with only debt or not, sorry, started plugging the wrong book. Bare minimum parenting, the ultimate guide to not quite ruining your child. Uh, you know, my, my whole goal was to just write something that was funny to say, you don't have to be so stressed out about it. And I got to the end of this book and I accidentally proved a point. I was like, holy cow, <laughs> you relax and you're laid back. Not only is it easier for you, but you're not a bad parent. I think you're a better parent than those overachieving parents and your kid is better for it. So it was, it was kind of an epiphany for me that I really didn't expect to hit along the way. And, and so the whole book is basically saying to parents, Listen, you're a better parent than you think you are. Calm down. Don't listen to the experts. Put all the parenting books down except for this unbook. Uh, <laughs> this 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 unbook about n- not parenting in this overachieving way. Uh, don't go out and find your child's um, preschool two months before they're born. Take take a breath, breathe a little bit, uh, and and just be present. Right. Even if that's yeah. present on on the couch, uh, you're not shuttling kids around to 50 million different uh, activities that they're locked into for the entirety of their life because you signed them up for a class once. And so now you're stuck with this this lifestyle child. And isn't it crazy how true that is? You, you start your kid in soccer and, you know, when they're four years old and all of a sudden, you know, you're in high school doing a traveling team. You're in a different state every weekend. I mean, they just get on these, these, you know, it's like a log flume at Disney World. You get on there and there's just no way off. It's like, you know, I think the best way off is just not to get on in the first place. Your kid doesn't really need soccer as a life skill. If they have fun, great. But yeah, I, I don't get this resume building that starts, you know, at the, at the age of four. I think we need to chill out and give kids some free time to be kids. Well, let's, let's go back a little bit because what would it be uh, if we didn't complain a little bit about the current generation of parenting? Because when we were kids, James. Yes, uh, once, allegedly. 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 <laughs> we, we would go and we would play Y soccer, right? we go to the Y and there was a league you'd practice once a week and there was a once a week game and the season was like two months long and it was done. And, yeah, I- and I have children, and and I can't find a team like that, that that they're not playing on Sundays, they're not, uh, you know, five week five practices a week, and I don't want to put that kind of stress. Not only do I not want to put that kind of stress on me because I have seven kids, and that's <laughs> insanity. Um, but why would I do that to a kid? When do they get to be a kid? Yeah, you know, in every, like each chapter, almost all the chapters were inspired by a specific incident. I wrote a big chapter on sports. I don't think you've gotten there yet. But a large chunk of that was inspired by somebody I knew who she had a a kid, I think she's in sixth grade, and she was going to soccer practice two hours every single night. And this season seemed to last the entire year. I mean, technically it didn't, but it seemed like it was in the spring and the fall. And on top of that, what, what blew my mind was her child was injured and she had to go to practice for two hours a night and watch everybody else practice for team spirit. I was like, this, this is insanity. There's no other context in life. Like if you get hurt on the job, you don't go to work and watch everybody else work. <laughs> if you get hurt on the battlefield, they don't send you to the front lines to clap for the other troops. You have personal time. And sports is the opposite of personal time. You can't take a day off and say, I'm just not feeling it today. There's no vacation time. You have to show up to practice every single day for the, pri- for the privilege of continuing to show up every day, for the privilege of staying on the team. And we act like 
this is teaching our kids some valuable lesson, but what lesson is it teaching them? You're basically teaching them their time doesn't matter. They have to put everybody over themselves, especially if it's something they really don't like. They're sick of it. I think that's a really bad lesson to teach kids. I mean, there is a value in sticking to things, but I think anybody who's ever gotten in a career or gotten a family realized there's, there's even more value in realizing when it's time to realize something's not working and try something else. And that's, that's not a skill we're teaching kids at all. And let's now let's take this in a more religious way because this is, okay. <laughs> this is Catholic radio. This is the discernment. It's a discernment process that, um, Hey, sometimes that just means, is this getting me, uh, this behavior, this activity, this, this, uh, whatever it is, is this getting me what I desire? Is this getting me the, to the end that, that I set out for in the first place? So whether that be, uh, is this activity helping me become more holy? If it's just, is it helping me be, uh, a, a good person taking care of those around me? Uh, this is part of the process is being able to discern. And so to allow our kids to discern, Hey, I'm not really into this anymore. Yes. And we've, we've really deprived them of that. The kids have to have the ability to say no, they have to have the ability to quit. They have to be able to stake out some time for themselves and not for the team, not for the parents, not for the friends, but, but for themselves. Uh, you know, that, that, that issue of discernment really hits close to home for me. Cause I know uh, growing up, there was kind of a full court press from uh, the faculty members at my Catholic school for me to be a priest. In fact, my classmates voted me most likely to be a priest. And here I am secretly writing comedy articles, planning on having a big family someday. <laughs> like this is the, this is the opposite of what I'm thinking. So yeah, I think, I think there's a big element that you have to know who you are uh, and you have to start at an early age because there's always going to be people who have expectations of you and who try to push you in a certain direction. And as parents, we have to be aware of that and give our kids the freedom to, to not necessarily go with what our plan is. They're, they're not accessories for us. They're not pawns. They're not the second incarnation of us. They're, they're independent people and we have to give them the chance to discern what their life path is. And as a parent, we have to discern as well. I mean, if your child is uh, taking up a lot of different things and quitting as a practice, as a way yes. of doing things, obviously you're going to give that children uh, that that child an example of fortitude. And you say we're mm -hmm. going to we're going to stick it out this season. But if it's the first thing, or if this is rare for your child, man, listen to the kid. Um, maybe there maybe there's uh, bullying going on. Maybe there's something that's not sitting right with this their spirit. Uh, if out of the ordinary, they come and say, you know, I'm really not feeling this anymore. Maybe it's time to say, okay, let's find something else then. Yeah. And, and, and there's different ways to do it too. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, quit the middle of the season, leave everybody high and dry. But if you get to the end of the season, your kid's miserable. There's no reason to re-enroll next year. I mean, this is not a lifelong commitment, even though it's certainly starting to look that way. And I kind of wonder what happens to these people, because there are some people who go all the way up through college and they do a sport they'll never go pro in. And I just wonder, they, they get there and then what happens to them? All hundreds of thousands of hours over the years, they've been put into this and they pushed and, and there's just nothing for it. I think, I think you've got to put time into things that are going to last a little longer than sports because our bodies will certainly give out at some point. And I apologize. My pig has entered the room. So she's like, <laughs> oh, no. Okay. So you, let me you, let her you, out here real quick. you've brought it up, right? You've brought up the fact that you have a pig. Yes, I think I think she brought it up herself right there. But yes, we do have a pig. Uh, she actually just escaped an hour ago. We have contractors going in and out of our house, and somebody didn't latch the gate. So she is she is a handful from time to time. But my kids love her now. And let's be let, let's be very clear we're not we're not calling your child a name. 
No, no, this is a literal pig. Yeah, she's a Juliana mini pig. Although I've I've learned you can't say mini pig on the internet. People freak out. They're like, there's no such thing as a mini pig. Yes, there's there's no pigs that are going to stay small enough to fit in a teacup. But, you know, farm pigs are 600 pounds. Mini pigs are 60, 70 pounds, somewhere in there. So that's what we've got. She's like a she's like a heavy dog that's very compact. <laughs> and of course, this is this is now a pet. So this is not going to be breakfast at some point. Oh, in time never, in the never. No, 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 no. So, yeah, my dad was a pig farmer, and all of all of his pigs ended up as breakfast but our our pig will be the first pig in our entire family line to survive she will she will be here till she dies of old age or or escapes whichever comes first and saint francis is uh, is proud of you i i would like to think so if if i make one saint proud i'll be okay it's one saint better than i was doing before so is there a is does your family have like a favorite saint that y'all throw around from time to time Growing up, uh, it was St. John Newman. Uh, we, we definitely, they prayed to them. I think my mom has a relic for St. John Newman. Uh, and I think that the Newman centers are named after him uh, at colleges. And that, that's the main one I remember. I, me and my siblings are all, I believe, were named after saints. With my kids, we, we didn't do that. We just picked names we like because we're bad people. <laughs> there's, a, there's a precedent there. We, me and my siblings are named after saints. We're talking today with Twitter superstar, professional comedy writer, James Breakwell, who often tweets about his own family life. You can find him on Twitter. The account is at Exploding Unicorn. There's no E, just Exploding Unicorn. You can also find him on Facebook and on his own website, ExplodingUnicorn.com, all spelled out with the E. He's got a brand new book coming out November 6th, Bare Minimum Parenting, The Ultimate Guide to not quite ruining your child. There's a lot more to this conversation right after this break. So don't go anywhere unless you go over to social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls on Twitter. The handles at outside the walls and tell me a funny story about your kids. You're listening to outside the walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of faith on daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam. Today, we're talking with James Breakwell, not a PhD, although it's written on the front of his book as such and then crossed out. The book is Bare Minimum Parenting, The Ultimate Guide to Not Quite Ruining Your Child. Uh, James, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me here and not throwing me out after the first half of the segment. This, is, this might be a new record. <laughs> All right, so we're, you've written this un unbook, um, this parenting book that's not a parenting book, as you assert, and then and then drop because it it takes too much effort to write those two extra characters. Uh, you tweet a lot. Uh, you've got over a million followers on Twitter. You're almost almost to Pope Francis's level. He's only got like <laughs> seven seventeen point nine million, uh, and then don't even don't even question like political people, the, the, but. But you're, you've got quite a few more Twitter followers than I do. So you've got the little blue check and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and you tweet about your children uh, a, a great deal of the time. I've got a couple that are here in front of me that are my favorites. Uh, you have these little conversations. Uh, me, wake up. It's time for church. Five-year-old. It's dark. I thought God wanted us to be happy. Me. That's the Protestant God. We're Catholic. <laughs> I, this is we laugh but this is this is like every sunday yes this, this is, is never not a battle I, I don't know how people have kids who just jump up and 
and go to church. And, and growing up, we, we never missed an 830 mass. It was 830 or, or there wasn't even an or else. There was nothing else. There was just 830. Uh, so we've we've now in my adulthood, I, I go to 11 because I'm a rebel. <laughs> the 830 is still ingrained in my soul. Wait, so you go to 11 and it was dark when you were getting your kid up for mass? No, that was just a, that was just a joke. That might have been in, in the winter though. It's early on. You can't if you have kids. Though, you have seven. You don't wake your kids up ten minutes before you go to church. And actually, that particular tweet I wrote at my parents' house. And when we go back to visit, it is still eight thirty. It doesn't matter how late we're up the night before or what we're doing. Eight thirty Sunday morning, there's mass, and that that's never changed. I have never gone to their house and gone to a mass other than eight thirty. Hmm. Uh, something about that early morning. Well, you know, back in the back in the day, you had to fast. And that's where we get the name breakfast because you were breaking the fast after mass, right? Yeah. And so used to be way back when you had to fast for three hours before mass and not just this little piddly one hour that we have now. And so, yeah, if you were hungry, you went to mass early. <laughs> Yeah, you you learn to game the system a little bit. My, I still tell the story. My favorite. So I went to a Catholic college too, and there was one morning for Easter. I was going back on on Easter Day, and I went to Easter Mass before I left. And there was like a ninety five year old priest there at six in the morning. He went through Easter Mass in twenty minutes. I've never seen anything so incredible in my life. There's a man who's just been there, done that. He's got places to be. So so yeah, I think I think we've all got our systems. So I'm sure he he made it through those fasts as that's well. An, that's an Easter miracle right there. It was. I, I've never been so impressed. I should have written that man a thank you note. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things you, you talk about bare minimum parenting, uh, but what you mean by bare minimum parenting is basically the kind of parenting we all grew up with. Um, yeah, it's really a bare minimum of stress, a bare minimum of worry. It's not it's not a bare minimum of love or care or anything like that. It's And then it's kind of a, a, a misinterpretation of the cover. People think, oh, my gosh, you're just to be lazy and awful. Maybe a little lazy, but really it's just about not wasting you know effort unnecessarily running around like a chicken with your head cut off. I see all these parents going out and getting extra tutoring and going above and beyond to give their kid an advantage. I just think, why? Look at how we all turn out. You, you get to the age of 40, you can't tell who had extra tutoring and who didn't, who was breastfed or bottle fed, who had that extra special stroller. We all end up kind of mediocre. So why, why not get there in the easiest way possible? It's kind of a St. Therese of Lisieux thing. I need a little way to be a good parent, right? Uh, <laughs> a little way to be a saint, a little way to be a good parent. And, and you know, as I'm reading this, and I, I of course, I've got seven kids. Uh, as I'm reading this bare minimum parenting, I'm like, this, this is large family tactics, uh, yes. When you have a large family, you don't get to do all of these extra things because it would be impossible. And you have one chapter in there uh, that talks about the right time to have a kid and the fact that there isn't one. There isn't a right time to have a kid and you're whether it's uh, as a very young person or in your 20s or 30s or or uh, ad infinitum further on. It, there's going to be pros and there's going to be some major cons to saying now is not really the perfect time to have a kid. And you have this story in there uh, that, that tied into that of P, uh, a car that runs on cereal and you set up this huge infrastructure to be able to support this alternative fuel. And then you only have make one car and then destroy the infrastructure and saying, why would you have all this infrastructure and only make one car and why would you go through all of the effort to um to get all of the things you need to have a child and have one child 
Yeah, that, that that's always blowing my mind with people. They have one kid and they're like, well, two kids would be twice as much work. It's like, no, it's not twice as much work as all. You, you have everything in place. You've already adjusted your lifestyle for kids. You've already got the baby clothes you can pass down. You've already got the stroller. It's it's all in place. You've already learned how to do the the car seat. You've already read, you know, read your baby books. And once you're used to dealing with them, I think adding more children is the easiest thing in the world. And I think you get it's economy of scale. I think it gets cheaper with each subsequent kid. You've Absolutely. Already, you've already got the bigger house. You've already got the minivan. It's like you have to get a new vehicle every time. And and you're the shining example. I mean, I grew up in a family of seven kids. You've got seven kids now. You get to a certain point, those last kids are practically free. I mean, you've got everything already. Let the older ones raise the younger ones. Well, and frankly, we. we we benefit from all of the overachieving parents because they've had one kid or two kids and, yeah. and now they have all of this stuff they've got to get rid of. And they think what poor schmuck could use all of this stuff. I know <laughs> the family with seven, let's give it to them. They know what to do with it. And so, I mean, practically we don't buy anything anymore. And you know what those, and I have a whole chapter on there about the downsides of only having one kid. You know, if you can only have one kid, if, they, if that's the right choice for your family, great, but don't have just one kid because you think it's easier. Cause that's a mistake. I think one kid is the, is the most amount of work. So you've got to, you've got to entertain them and you've got to have a friend over. So if your kids have, have friends who are only children, I mean, those only children are the ones where you go over there and they take you to the circus. They take you to the ball game. Their parents are always entertaining. And if you're the one with seven kids, you just scatter your children out for the day and you definitely <laughs> I mean, growing up, my friends with who were, who were only children, they always did the cool stuff. And I, looking back, I just feel sorry for their parents. They had to take so much time and cost so much money. You know, and there, there's just this economy, you know, people look at us like we bring the apocalypse with us when we come into the store. <laughs> they see this line of seven children coming in and, and they're just sure that destruction is nigh. And they're always surprised that they're fairly well behaved in public. We, we have trained them well to, to give the illusion of order. <laughs> but the older ones take care of the younger ones, right? There, there's so much less work I mean, when you have so many. It's like, well, think of the laundry. Yeah, I do think of the laundry and I make the kids do it. It's great. <laughs> Yeah, we, we definitely put a lot of responsibility on our eight-year-old, uh, you know, to kind of help out and shepherd the kids around. But my mom, looking back, she had she had four kids, her first four kids were real close together like that. She's like, yeah, we used to be like, act like an adult, you're six. Like, that was just kind of... <laughs> format, you know, that we, that we grew up in. So it seemed very familiar. And uh, yeah, my kids are like your kids. They're actually really well behaved in public. They save their, their worst behavior for home. They're always the worst here and the most destructive, which I guess I, I'm okay with. If I had to pick one or the other, I'd rather confine the chaos here where we can kind of, where we're more responsible for it. There's nothing worse than when there's, there's destruction outside the home you have to, you have to cover up for and apologize for. So yeah, I think it's a good setup. It, it would be great if they, d if they were perfect everywhere. Yes. But it, it will never happen, but you, you got to pick one or the other. <laughs> and I, I kind of wonder about like kids who have parents who have kids who are super rambunctious out in public or terrible at school. Maybe they're angels at home. Maybe we just don't know. Right. Right. You can't, you can't judge. You can't yes. judge externally. Um, you might, you <laughs> might judge internally and probably as a comedy writer, you write a story about it and change the details to protect the innocent. Exactly. So uh, how much do the rest of us have to worry about, comedy writers uh, observing and, and telling our stories. 
you you don't have to worry at all. I mean, if you read my tweets, the common element is that I always lose. I'm I'm always on the short end of the stick in there, and it's a fine line to walk. I mean, all my tweets, you know, they're 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 a mix. Some are some are completely true, and some are start out true, but I got to change the facts to make them fit. And some are made up, but they're right along the lines of what my kids do anyway. Uh, but the common element is even if it's in real life, I get the better of the situation. You got to switch it around. If you're, if you're really getting the best of your kids and all these jerks, jokes, you're just kind of a jerk. You're beating up on children. So everybody, everybody just likes to see dad lose. So if I saw you do something ridiculous in public, chances are what I would do is I would transfer it from you to my kids because it's not as funny. But like I saw somebody else doing this. And I put myself in the losing position and I come out in the end and, and people would love it. It's, I, I think the common element, the key to my success is that everybody loves to see me fail. And once I realized that, I, I had it made. Well, you know, it, it makes us feel better about ourselves. Yes. To say, oh, wow, not not just uh, that there's failure there, because I, I, that's not what I see. Uh, I'm trying to be kind. But, <laughs> but no, what, what I love about it is it's you recognize yourself in those stories and it's permission to laugh at, at your family, but then by virtue of that also to pay attention to my own family and to laugh at those things and not to be frustrated by them and not to be frustrated by my, my own lack of being that superior parent and, and I've, uh, I've really been fortunate on the internet. I know there's a lot of trolls and hate and all that out there, but I've really collected a group of like-minded parents who follow me and read my jokes. And when somebody new comes in, they're like, how can you say that? How dare you? They're, they're, the other people chime in and they're like, you really don't get what's going on here. This isn't a, a space to criticize other parents or to try to figure out how to be the best parent ever. This is just a place to kind of celebrate our shortcomings because there are no perfect children. There are no perfect parents. And the faster you accept that, the faster your blood pressure is going to go down by about 10 points and you might actually enjoy being a parent for once and that's going to be better for you and for your kid now you say that you don't get a whole lot of trolls but in the in the minute we've got left you did get uh some uproar over a pig picture <laughs> yes I, I well it wasn't just the pig it was my kids i, I took a picture of the kid the, the pig with the kids in the car going to grandma's house i thought it was just a sweet innocent picture and it's funny because there's a pig who takes a pig to you know for christmas to grandma's house and it's not a ham to eat and uh, there was just an explosion of hatred over um, the puffy coats in the in the car seats, which I had never thought about before. And I don't want to reignite the whole controversy because I'm going to get a thousand <laughs> people emailing me like, yeah, I kid you not. People are passionate about this. Uh, but the point was, this, this wasn't about the coats. I wasn't asking anybody's advice for how to strap my kids in. As, as a parent, I feel comfortable with the choices I made. But what it became was a you know, who are these parents out there who feel compelled to just shout out advice to other parents, unwanted advice? It's almost like parenting Tourette's where you just assume you are the best example and everybody else needs to hear it. And I think those parents need to take a step back and say, you know what? Every parent makes the best decision they can for their kids. And maybe the math is different on that other side. And I don't understand the math that's going on there, uh, but my way is not the be all and end all. And, and it was it was really interesting to see just how unself-aware some of these super moms and dads were. It was it was a learning experience for me. For one, I'm not posting car seat pictures anymore, yeah. but for two, it, it really helped me kind of divorce myself from that, you know, that parental peer pressure coming in. And I wrote an entire chapter on parental peer pressure that was largely inspired by that, that no matter how angry other parents get at you, no matter what they tell me about car seats, you know, I'm following the law and actually no other parent can make me change what I'm doing. This is not parenting by committee. If you need a little help, that's great, but you don't have to listen to the mob. You don't have to listen to them at all. And as important as that is on issues of 
of, uh, of the proper diet or the proper car seats or anything else like that. It's even more important as we try to raise our children in the faith. You don't have to give in to fear. Parent confidently. James, thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. We've been talking today with James Breakwell. He is a comedian and an author. You can follow him over at explodingunicorn.com. He's also on Facebook and Twitter. We'll be right back with much more right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the foundations and implications of faith on daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam. Today, we talked with James Breakwell, professional comedy writer. Uh, got a brand new book coming out, Bare Minimum Parenting, The Ultimate Guide to Not Quite Ruining Your Child. If you missed any part of the show or you want to share it with your friends, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. While you're there, there's extra content to my conversation with James Breakwell today, available to all those who support the show through Patreon. Uh, the, the way that we are able to bring you this show week after week is that there are those who believe in what we're doing and have taken the time to go over to our website, OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, read through the various ways that they can support the show, uh, and realized that for as little as $5 a month, as much as they and you would spend for a single cup of Starbucks coffee, depending on the size, uh, they get all the extra content that their hearts desire. Uh, extra conversations, in-depth dives with our guests, and much more. So go over and follow their example. Go to Outside the Walls, click the Patreon link, take a look at the different tiers and the different rewards, see which one works for you, and help us, as we are coming up on our fourth anniversary, uh, to continue for the next four, eight, 10, 20 years. Now, let's go ahead and continue today by turning our attention to Scripture and to church history. As I mentioned at the very beginning, um, I sat down with a group of fathers who what they wanted more than anything was for their faith to be made real to their children. And um, as I sat down with them, I read this passage as we started. And it just happened as I was looking through um, what what their coming readings were for the church uh, that I do for the show. Well, lo and behold, this reading w was right there in the middle. Uh, I had actually gone specifically to look for this for them because it fit my topic with them. Uh, but I think it fits well for us as well today as we have a similar topic here. This reading comes from Ephesians 3, and Paul says to them, Brothers and sisters, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that he may grant you in accord with the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner self, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the holy ones what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to accomplish more than all we ask or imagine by the power at work within us, 
To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That reading comes from the book of Ephesians, and the reason that I brought it to those fathers was this this little statement where he says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Some translations say, uh, from whom all fatherhood is named, that as we attempt to share the faith with our kids, as we attempt to be good fathers, the most important thing to realize is that we're not alone in this. Yes, we are co-parenting with our spouse, but more than that, um, we have other fathers that can support us, that we don't have to feel as though we are isolated islands. Secondly, uh, we have God the Father, through whom all fatherhood was named, that when we are kind of uncertain about how we can best father, we can turn to him and ask in prayer, help me to find the best way to father. Help me to know my child as you know my child. Help me to know myself as you know me. And so that's where I went with them. But as I was reading this to you, uh, this is the part that, that popped out to me. Uh, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the holy ones, right? You being rooted and grounded in love. This is where we stake our claim. This is who we want to be to our children. This is where we start from, that we root ourselves in love, that we establish ourselves first and foremost in love, that uh, just like a plant is planted in the ground and gets all its nutrients from the ground and gets its stability from the ground, you and I need to be rooted and established in love, that we're planted there, that we are immovable there in the midst of love, that we get our nourishment and our stability from love. And remember that God is love, right? God isn't loving, although he is. God isn't defined by love. Rather, love is how we define God. It's not a trait or a characteristic. It is the essence of God. In fact, in Hebrew, the, um, the single most important characteristic they had for God was uh, the word chesed, which means loving kindness, right? God is love. And so you and I, as we are rooted and established in love, we are allowing the, the very uh, person and character of God to permeate who we are so that we can faithfully raise our kids to know and understand who God is and that he loves them. Our reading from church history this week picks up where we left off last week. This is from a letter to Proba, by St. Augustine. And if you recall, we, we ended that around the prayer. When we don't know what to pray, we should pray that one prayer with the psalmist, one thing I ask and that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever and gaze upon his beauty. So we pick up there and hear this. The person who asks for and seeks this one thing from the Lord makes his petition confidently and serenely. He has no fear that when he receives it, it may harm him. For if this is absent, anything else he duly receives brings no benefit at all. 
This is the one true and only life of happiness, that immortal and incorruptible in body and spirit, we should contemplate the Lord's graciousness forever. It is for the sake of this one thing that everything else is sought and without impropriety requested. The person who has this will have all that he wants. In heaven he will be unable to want, because he will be unable to possess anything that is unfitting. In heaven is the fountain of life that we should now thirst for in prayer, as long as we live in hope and do not yet see the object of our hope. Under the protection of his wings, in whose presence is all our desire, so that we may drink our fill from the plenty of his house and be given drink from the running stream of his delights. For with him is the fountain of life, and in his light we shall see light. When our desire will be satisfied with good things and there will be nothing to ask for with sighs, but only what we possess with joy. Yet since This is that peace that surpasses all understanding. Even when we ask for it in prayer, we do not know how to pray for what is right. Certainly, we do not know something if we cannot think of it as it really is. Whatever comes to mind, we reject, repudiate, find fault with. We know that this is not what we are seeking, even if we do not yet know what kind of thing it really is. There is then within us a kind of instructed ignorance, instructed, that is, by the Spirit of God who helps our weakness. When the Apostle said, if we hope for something we do not see, we look forward to it with patience. He added, in the same way the Spirit helps our weakness. We do not yet know what it is right to pray for, but the Spirit himself pleads with sighs too deep for words. He who searches the hearts knows what the Spirit means, for he pleads for the saints according to God's will. We must not understand by this that the Holy Spirit of God pleads for all the saints as if he were someone different from what God is. In the Trinity, the Spirit is the unchangeable God and one God with the Father and the Son. Scripture says he pleads for all the saints because he moves the saints to plead. Just as it says, the Lord your God tests you to know if you love him in this sense that he does it to enable you to know so that the spirit moves the saints to plead with sighs too deep for words by inspiring in them a desire for the great and as yet unknown reality that we look forward to with patience. How can words express what we desire when it remains unknown? If we were entirely ignorant of it, we would not desire it. Again, we would not desire it or seek it with size if we were able to see it. That reading comes from a letter to Proba by St. Augustine. And this is important for us as we know, to some extent, we know what we want. We want our children to grow in the faith. We want to be successful parents who... uh, in, in some sense, are able to give our children an understanding of the character of God and that God loves them. The fact that we want this desire means that God is already acting in us and through us. And so we say that prayer, One thing I ask, and that I will seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever and to gaze upon his beauty. Or, 
as Christ taught us. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's all the time we have for this week. Today's show is brought to you by Christopher, Robin, Webster, and all those who support the show through Patreon. Go to OutsideTheWalls.com, click the Patreon link, and join their numbers. Get the extra content from today's show and all the other shows. Join us over on social media, Facebook.com slash StepOutsideTheWalls. On Twitter, the handle's at OutsideTheWalls. Until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.